0: Good evening, everyone. I'm Jason Miles, your host for another episode of this, this Revolution Podcast. If you're the channel, please like and subscribe. And if you're enjoying what you see, make sure to hit that notification bell as we're constantly adding new episodes cross streams of other channels and adding additional new programming. As you guys can see, I'm not in my usual studio gigs. I am on the go here in Southern California. We are at, is this Claremont College or Pomona. Pomona, I mean we're at Pomona University College. It's a school. That's all I know. It's a school, and I'm at it. And it's a really nice school. Thank you very much, Professor Jennifer Freelander, for letting us use this office. We can do the show today. Um, I'm, I'm behind. There's books behind me, which is something I don't normally do. That's usually for smart people. I'm even wearing a smart people shirt. I feel like I look like uh, every district manager in a like service job
1: <laughs>
0: like i have just, just been a watching. little bit just like yeah like hey how you doing hey keep it up good work thank you
1: yeah, yeah.
0: thank you very much <laughs> district manager
2: we're a family here what's
0: in my briefcase nothing district <laughs> yeah. manager how you doing uh but i will be here tomorrow with Catherine lou and of course these people that you can hear off to the side that you will be seeing in a few minutes as i get ready to do this the theory underground guys also Even more good news, I was talking with my good friend, Greg Day, and we are ready to do the book launch for uh, I Was a Teenage Anarchist. Uh, It's going to be a live meet and greet, very intimate situation. Uh, We've been talking with a lot of our friends in the business. So as of right now, I can't confirm every name, but uh, it's going to be me reading parts of the book, taking questions from you guys, kind of interacting with everybody. And also, we're going to have some people that were in these scenes that I talked about in this book. Uh, Chris Contos, the original drummer for Machine Head. He's in Forbidden Now and Attitude Adjustment and the Boneless ones uh, with many, many other people from the uh, 80s hardcore and metal scene with the thrash scene from the Bay Area are going to be there. We're real stoked to this. It's gonna be November eighteenth. More details to follow on that. Someone says I stole one of Pascal shirts. I'm so mad you guys said that. I wish I had the laugh track button. This is my shirt that I got for $8. Don't you dare talk about this. This is a real used polo shirt. But <laughs> you weren't expecting that one. <laughs> if you like what we do here at TIR. And you have the means you feel so inclined and you would like to have access to champagne rooms past and present because I'm on location. We won't be going to the champagne room tonight, but tomorrow will be another episode of the Pascal Robert hosted Mau Mau hour where he'll be speaking with Professor Nicole Alexander Floyd about her new book. and if you'd like to be part of that live virtual audience join us for movie night there's only one way become a patron for as little as three dollars a month or thirty dollars for the year it can all be yours now getting into why theory is relevant our guests today have a mission statement for their project i'm going to read a little bit from that mission statement Few of us have anything in common these days outside of a common knowledge that there is no future in existing institutions, movements, or the ideologies that rationalize them. Never before has it been so important that we think and interrogate the situation we are in anew. Nobody has the answer, yet there is this idea that if you say the wrong thing, you might have to live with it uh, for the rest of your life, or that it could obstruct your opportunities for upward mobility. Professors activists and media personalities feel this pressure every day but so do regular workers who are for all practical purposes barred from public life anyway this culture of fear and silencing uh stifles thought and discourse leading to a genocide of voice plurality and the utter negation dialectics people who don't even go on social media at all ever live under a virtual specter that haunts and regulates their discourse. How do we lift the fetters that obstruct a cultural unfolding? Not by playing into the overly neurotic self-censorship or fear of guilt by association. Not by overthinking what we say. Not by apologizing when others choose to interpret our statements in the least charitable light. And definitely not by holding our writings up to a standard so high that it holds us back from engaging with language, the world, and others around us in new ways. We don't have the time, energy, or budget for perfection. In the same way that rock music in the 70s was already co-opted and overproduced for mass consumption, thus leading to an explosion of underground music, so publishing today has become sterile and scripted. Let's find out why publishing has been... Sterile and scripted. Please welcome the Theory Underground Crew.
1: Hey.
0: Yo, know, sadly I don't this. Now, can you guys introduce yourself, ladies first?
1: Uh, hello. Oh, I never get to. Int- <laughs> I never introduce myself first. Uh, my name is Anne Snellgrove Um I am. I mean, I'm Dave's wife. But I am also, uh, <laughs> um, I studied social science at Boise State University. I was the editor, one of the main editors of the underground theory anthology. I have a piece in there about the neoliberalization. What's right here? The neoliberalization of higher education. Um, and I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having us on.
2: What's up, everybody? My name is David McCarricker. Um, I am Anne's husband, but I'm not just that i'm also a thinker in my own right and so (laughs) i wrote the introduction to this thing i uh i wrote a piece called lefter than thou enjoyment um basically wherein i make the case that the one thing that unifies every shade of leftist post-leftist and anti-leftist is the same form of enjoyment and that is being lefter than thou and i think that that's still true with post-leftists and anti-leftists because Um, they're still they still have like this fidelity to this ideal this idea of the left and it's the thing that they're holding the left against right most people on the left would agree right and so that's that's what i did in this piece i don't know i i started theory underground last december but it's the culmination of a lot of other projects that i've been uh trying and failing to get off the ground for about a decade right so basically it's a it's a Lecture course, platform, social media, app, and uh, place where we do all kinds of crazy shit. And you'll hear a little bit about that throughout the episode, I'm sure.
3: I'm Nance. Uh, I'm just a dude. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any cool shit to say about myself.
2: He's not married to us either. I'm
3: not. I'm not, I'm not we're you not guys are not a thruple? No. No. Thruple.
2: Okay,
0: no.
3: <laughs> I just learned that term recently, and I love it, by the way. So no thruple, no thruple. No thruple. Yeah, just uh, um, uh, yeah, just here because uh, I got burnt out on the left, um, but I couldn't let it go, mm-hmm. um, and I consume a lot of leftist media, and uh, and kind of sit back and complain about shit and tell everyone I'm smart and I know better, but don't really ever get to, to actualize any of that. Um, and getting involved with theory underground was an avenue to, to be effective in the world. So.
0: Well, that was a great introduction. I wish I, I, again, sometimes I feel naked without my, here, let me get you. I feel naked without my soundboard. A big reason why I wanted to do this was like this, because I could have done this where I'm staying at, at Catherine Lou's house and we could have done it remotely. I like to do these things in person as much as possible. Living in Mexico, it does make it somewhat hard. Uh, ben Burgess and I did some in-studio stuff. We had uh, a blast doing it. I love the fact that you guys are going on tour. Uh, when you told me about this, I was pretty stoked about it. Um, for those that, that didn't see it, hopefully one of the the uh, moderators can put a link in the, in the chat to it. But we did a panel uh, a month or so ago, maybe a couple months ago, um, Hardcore music and definitely a hip hop music panel and and theory. Um, What made you guys want to do something like this? Because I want to also preface this by saying you guys aren't doing this like we do our live shows where there's a lot of promotion. um, There's tickets sold. You're doing it on kind of a level. And I'm not going to lie. There's part of me that's a little jealous about it because seeing and talking to you guys on the road as much as we're talking is bringing me back, having memories of traveling. But then I remember traveling and, you know, being poor <laughs> and you know, I've seen way too many truck stop bathrooms. And you know, right. Uh, but but that aside, actually getting back in meet spaces with people and doing something like this, where you're we're talking about theory, you're not always speaking in colleges, which is another thing that I really dig you're you're doing this kind of all over the place. We we just happened to be in a college tomorrow because it was the only setting we could get for the thing. So what was the impetus for you to say, let's take this on the road?
2: I guess I'll go first cause it's something that I've been wanting to do for a really long time. But I mean, basically I, I come from the Spokane music scene. And so everybody I know was touring right mm-hmm. and you got to get out of Spokane. <laughs> I, got yeah, I got out a long time ago yeah i got out a long time and you can't go east compton as they call it right yeah so, here's the thing i really love the scene i think that monumental booking is like one of the best booking agencies in the world like i think that ryan levy's amazing i love the scene and i love the bands but um one of the things that kills musicians mm-hmm. is the grind the tour grind yeah it's like they, they, they love the road. They want to go out there and actually meet people. They don't want to just put their music out on Spotify. They want to tour. Um, but also touring can crush you into the ground. Yes. Right. And it also crushes your creativity. And that's why a lot of bands, I mean, people think, oh, they sold out. Well, maybe they just lost their soul because they're touring too much. They're in a new place every night. Um, and so there's a tension there. But I always have admired the, the original idea. Of, of of American hardcore going everywhere. Mm-hmm. Anywhere there's fans, you go there mm-hmm. and you spend time. And it's not just like, oh, bang for your buck, reaching the most people. It's no, it's going and actually spending time with people in these meat spaces, mm-hmm. as you say. And I think that's important for philosophy and theory, especially because the internet makes us crazy. Theory people are already usually keeping their cards close to their chest. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of imposter syndrome in academia. Mm-hmm. Um, and Can you so, explain what
0: imposter syndrome is? Imposter syndrome is,
2: uh, it's, imposter syndrome is like uh, you, you're you like, I don't know anything about this stuff that I'm supposed to know so much stuff about. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I don't really know what I'm talking about. And so the the usual way that a person overcomes imposter syndrome in grad school is they fake it till they make it. But what that really means is they just kind of get high on their own farts and think they understand things when really, because people are so uncomfortable, actually, maybe looking like a fool in public. It, I, I think that what happens is there's a genocide of voice mm-hmm. and and of thinking it's it, it, we use this word stultification, right? It causes thinking and discourse to break down. It's really that the publisher's, uh, what is that statement that you read at the yeah. beginning? Yeah. But I think that um, actually going out, meeting people, um, it's helping us. It's definitely helping me. Um, I was a YouTuber for mm-hmm. a while, and then I was a, a Twitch streamer for a while. Mm-hmm. And it you're just dealing with like a flat screen and this infinite scroll of comments. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is like when you're doing real events, mm-hmm. most of the people aren't on their phone most of them are like paying attention more or less. Yeah. And you're actually able to read the room and, and kind of like gauge your speech to the room. Uh, But those like three or 10 people Mm -hmm. out of 50 Mm -hmm. who are on their phones, you don't really, you don't worry about them. But when you're doing a live stream, the people who are commenting the most, That's those people. And you don't see the people who are just super interested. Yeah, And you definitely don't see the people who are working at Amazon with their earbuds in who don't have time to be sitting there in the comment section. And so it skews our perception of, I don't want to say the public because it's not really the public, but whoever's in the comment section, whoever's Mm -hmm. in the audience. And so we're we're trying to break out of algorithmically um, confined uh, echo chambers, silos, whatever we want to call them and uh what
0: have you guys found as far as the reaction and so how many dates have you done so far
1: we've been on the road since september 2nd what we've maybe had like nine or ten events total
0: and you guys are doing this super diy and as someone again that has done it the way you're doing it, and then got lucky enough to run into a booking agent who still helps me to this day. Um, did I, I did I connect you with them? You were uh, going to. And I was like, what's that for? <laughs> when you said that, I was like, oh, wait. Uh, you, you do this yourself this time. And then when you're done, you come to me afterwards. Because sometimes you go, like, look, I'm not going to lie. The first time I did it, I didn't have a map in front of me. And I didn't know how far the Dakotas were from each other. (laughs) And I thought, oh, you know, what's 10 hour drive, you know, on a state route, (laughs) which is a whole, right? Um, And then we learned how to use maps properly and never take state routes. And, you know, uh, but what so far you guys have done nine dates, but you started in the East Coast. You didn't start in Spokane.
2: No, we started in Boise because we're both based out of Boise. So Nance is from Phoenix. He came to Boise, and that's where that's where we started. That's
0: correct pronunciation, by the way. It's Boise. Boise. And if you don't say it right, they won't let you get scones at that all night diner. You can say Boise. I don't give a fuck. I it love is, Boise. It is Boise. I was on a
2: record label in Boise.
1: Oh, For right? no mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: But no, we did the Boise event, and that was a hybrid event. We had uh two local presenters that are friends of ours. I've fellow travelers, as I call them. Um, and then Slavoj Zizek beamed in from Slovenia and, <laughs> and yeah. kind of gave us a real jump start, you mm-hmm. know, cause obviously that caught a lot of people's attention. They're like, Oh, cool. Um, but it's, it's really neat because the, the live audience number didn't really change after he left and it stayed through the whole time, which means that a lot of people sat there through Elton and Brian's Mm -hmm. presentations, but they also heard us talk about the book and the tour and the whole vision and everything like that. And so we're pretty happy with that, but it didn't really uh, start taking off though. I think until we were more on the East coast because two of the important events before we were on the East coast, um, weren't even published yet. They weren't live streamed. Mm -hmm. So the Kansas city event kind of happened off the radar for most people. Same with the one that was in Ontario,
0: Ontario, Canada you guys crossed the border yep yeah good N- times nance couldn't yeah I, tell, tell you tell, couldn't tell cross the, you what, have a dui tell what <laughs>
3: you have a dui from like 15 years ago no we just i don't have my passport yet so in order to avoid any potential issues you stayed your ass at home i stayed in toledo and couldn't rent a car and couldn't get a flight lottie Dottie. <laughs> so i took an amtrak from toledo to albany that was like 14 hours. Albany, New York. Yeah. <laughs> this is the
0: most. So when you say theory underground, this is the most underground, underground. DIY. Like, again, uh, when I hear stuff like this, the the OG in me yeah. wants to give so much advice. But then I'm like, you know, you just got to do it on your own if and sure. figure it out. Yeah. And then you'll learn about uh, border crossings <laughs> and how to make time for those.
1: Yeah, we're learning a lot on this tour where it's just like you've been saying the whole time, just fail fast and fail fast publicly. Yeah. And that's what it's been all about. So, yeah.
0: Now, as far as the audiences that you've been getting now, I saw a little bit of what you're doing. I know you did Chicago with friend of our show, uh, Crazy Ass Chris Catrone. <laughs> um, you, another friend of our show, you did it with uh, Daniel Tutte, yeah. um in D.C., that and uh, really you experience. were in. Were you in New York City?
1: We yep. were in New York City. Where'd yeah.
0: you Where'd you go in New York City?
1: Uh, we just rent. There's this cool website called Peer Space. It's like yeah, uh, I know Peer Space trade secrets. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Airbnb <laughs> for event spaces. And so we booked a space. We had uh, Samuel Longcar, Nick Castellucci of the Vanishing Mediators, who's also in the anthology, as well as Samuel, and then Norman Finkelstein zoomed in.
0: Okay, so you had Finkelstein Zoom, and so I was on a yeah. show with Finkelstein last night. Oh, cool. Um, I'm I'm sorry he wasn't able to show up for the live thing. Norm is a, a very fun... At this point, he we just give him shit for the first half hour that we see him. It's not even a, a legitimate show anymore. Um, but how was the audience reception? I've played more shows than I can count in Boise, Idaho, and I remember my first time there... I was kind of blown away because you guys have a very serious scene there, and people took it really serious, in my opinion.
2: Uh, <laughs> or well, as far as like support God, and
0: crazy. stuff like that, because uh, spe- the the label I was on was more of a goth label, okay. so they definitely came out and supported for that. And you definitely people came out and supported for the hardcore scene. There's a used to be a venue there. I don't know if it's still there called the Shredder. That's
2: there,
0: yeah. And there was another one that was there. Uh, quite a few stuff is closed in Boise, sadly.
2: I, I just have to say, like, um, um, my, all my roots are in the Spokane music scene. I basically went to college and didn't really go to shows the whole time I was at, at university. Okay. So while in Boise, I went to a couple, but I can't talk too much shit because I really didn't go to enough shows. But wh- where were you going with this? So you, you were saying – So how was the how was the
0: reaction? Because I, I – being from the Bay Area – and and going and make traveling as much as I did all those years touring. S- sometimes I walked into places with a bit of a closed mind. I didn't know what to expect. So I'm walking into Boise, Idaho, doing this weird music. I'm a black dude with this Asian woman that was doing it with me. We didn't know what to expect, but it was actually an extremely uh, welcoming crowd to the point where it, to this day, it feels like a second home. Um, that's awesome how was it for you guys there kicking it off in boise was it a good vibe was the crowd receptive to what you were, what you were talking about because also boise is an interesting place because there's been some really interesting political battles there mm-hmm. where left policies have won over with on the ground organizing so what did you find again with the with the people that came out to see you
2: i think the boise one was mostly internet facing And we really only invited um, people that we knew, Mm -hmm. except we did start um, a meetup group in Boise to see how that would work, Mm -hmm. right? We weren't messing with Eventbrite yet. Um, But as far as failing fast goes, one of the basic ideas is see what we can do, mostly word of mouth, without a lot of advertising and kind of compare that to next time when we actually put some money towards advertising in advance. And that way we'll kind of have a control versus the different tests in the various cities. And so right now it's like, there's been nothing but word of mouth. You saw the poster out in front of this office. Yeah. Um, this, this is one of the few stops on the tour that got posters like a week and a half in advance. And so another one of those things, you know, yeah. It is one of those things, you know, and it falls through the cracks pretty easily because there's so much other stuff going on. But in Boise, it was probably like 10 people. And one of the people who was there was like, I was, if it wasn't so last minute, a lot of our friends would have come. It could have been this, this really big thing. And I was like, did you notice there weren't chairs for more people? You're acting like this is a problem. We didn't want more. That's mm-hmm. too much pressure, you know, for like starting and, the a big part of the reason it was complicated and still is, is because we're doing this hybrid setup mm-hmm. where I don't know if you've seen it in all of the locations. It's not in every location, but we started doing it like halfway through the tour. We have a projector up behind the live audience mm-hmm. and the, on the projector is the zoom audience. And oh then, word. So it's, so we've got the zoom people in the call with us and then mm-hmm. we've got it going out to YouTube live as well. And so there's basically three audiences. And we encourage people in the physical audience, as well as the zoom audience to keep the live chat from the YouTube side up so that they can actually stay engaged with that chat as well, if they want to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got the, the various setups with the microphones. We've got multiple cameras and trying to figure out how to do all of this on two laptops with a bunch of what you say, shoestrings
3: and duct tape. Yeah.
2: It's been, it's been quite the adventure. But I think the best uh, turnout was in Chicago, um, but our favorite turnout was in DC.
0: Now Daniel Tut is a very interesting cat, and I I like Daniel Tut. He's actually introduced me to some people online that have actually co-hosted this show. Actually, forgot about. And um, I saw you. I didn't know you guys knew Tut. So when I saw you guys were doing something with him, again, I was a little jealous. <laughs> I was like, I wish I would have flown out for that or something. But, you know, <laughs> next time, right? There's always a next time. Uh, why was DC your favorite? What was the talk about?
2: I want you, you both. Because
0: yeah. I know what Tut's books about is Nietzsche, a, a reading of Nietzsche. So would you
3: talk
2: about his book? And We love Nietzsche, but we also love his critique of Nietzsche. Okay.
3: Yeah, I, DC was, um, first of all, all the events have been amazing. But DC, I don't know, something crystallized in the moment. It just hit right. Um, Tut was was on fire. Like, mm-hmm. I like Daniel Tut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, but <laughs> but um, I like him so much more after just seeing the way he delivered it. And exactly. p- part of it, of course, being in person, there's there's just so much more communication when you're in person. Um, but he, yeah, he he brought it, and I think there is maybe some behind the scenes tension going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he like wrote you it. guys had Nietzsche beef. Other Nietzsche. <laughs> is that what, other, is other that beef. what? Wait, wait. So other let me. Like,
0: wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. <laughs> so y'all, y'all, y'all had Nietzsche beef. He was like, look, look, check this out, D. <laughs> I can't have you bashing the dude. Or was it the other? What? What was it? What was it? I want to know.
1: Yeah. the situation as a third party. <laughs> um it was when Dave did back in like what march, april, a big uh 12 hour kind of marathon live stream. 30 hours. Sorry, 30 hour marathon live stream over two days. So we had all these guests on um throughout the days. He invited Daniel to be on during a segment mm-hmm. and then Nina Power to be on during a segment. Interesting. And um Daniel and Nina I think have Daniel has some critiques of Nina and her positions on various like cultural issues. Um, And he had actually done an interview with her and this is public information, right? He did an interview with her and chose not to publish it um, because a group was saying, no, please don't publish this interview with her. Like we don't like her. Really? Yes. And so he listened to them. He said, okay, I'm not going to publish this. And so Dave had Daniel on in the live stream talking about unrelated things. And I think... Time zones were confused and so Nina came in late and she was just sitting in the Zoom side and then she turned on her camera was like I have to interject. So she kind of ambushed him, but it wasn't a planned ambush. It was like, oh, she was there and confronted Daniel, and then they kind of had to hash out this disagreement. And so I think that was Daniel was maybe feeling like, oh no, you planned this for her to confront me, but it just all was happenstance. Um
3: you didn't set up to
1: no And from his touch,
3: touch, touch the man, dude. He is, he really is.
2: Yeah. And no, I didn't do it on purpose. I told him in the moment that I was happy it was happening because I have been saying for a while now that I think that, you know, these conversations that people or contradictions people want to keep beneath the surface Mm -hmm. need to come out. Mm -hmm. Um, It accelerates our learning, right? Like I'm talking, if you're a worker and you're trying to understand the field, whatever it is, whatever the field is, um, you cannot without seeing the contradictions of that field surface and play themselves out. Mm-hmm. And people are, they, they, they tend to be beholden to their audiences. Um, they tend to be beholden to whatever kinds of pressures there might be involved. Um, and that's all legit, especially if you've got, you know, your, your job to keep, right? And it's like, you've got to be careful or whatever. But from my standpoint, it's like, no, I want to see contradictions play out Um, and I, and not, not, not so that someone can get owned and put down at someone else's expense, but so that people in the audience, us can go, oh, I see what's going on here. Now I can come to my own conclusions. Yeah. I just think that matters. I mean,
0: I'll say, I'll say this in your defense and I haven't known you forever, but in the short time that I have known you, um, you don't seem to be the gotcha guy. I um, mean you don't seem to be the beef for beef sakes guy. Um but I I didn't see it so I won't
2: I won't comment on what I didn't see. But the whole thing he references like tensions beneath the surface or whatever it's just like um we've had our public disagreements about mm. various things. Um I wrote this book Time Energy, why you have no time or energy. My concept Time Energy is one I've been working on for a long time. I worked on it in my master's thesis actually. Um And it's basically an existential analysis of labor power in capitalism, but it actually poses a critique on any uh, supposed alternative to capitalism that does not center the life force we've had stolen from us by wage labor, but not just wage labor, labor period, right? Right. A a job-centric society around where all of your life force is reduced to labor power. That is not uh, the good conditions for uh, those are not good conditions for having uh, healthy families, mm-hmm. for being able to find and develop one's talents, mm-hmm. right? And so, the the time energy thing is very important. And uh, Tut sees the value in uh, leisure, right? And understands that that's a form of freedom, and, mm-hmm. and it's the basis of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he he recognizes that. But um, we had disagreed in the past about the relationship between time energy. And otium, which is like this Roman word, I think, Latin, I guess, mm-hmm. for uh, leisure time. Mm-hmm. And the point is, is time energy is the precondition for leisure time, but it's also the precondition for labor power. It's a precondition for all of these different things, you know, creative time, cooperative time, whatever kind of time, you got to have energy infused, large, repeatable blocks of time throughout your week. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, you don't have freedom, right? And most people don't have that. Mm-hmm. And when most people don't have that, even if you get some because you got laid off.
0: <laughs> is that really freedom?
2: Is that really freedom? Because you can't pool it with other people. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a uh, potential recognition on the horizon, like, you know, a way to move forward where you can actually engage with other people because they also have it, mm-hmm. then you're just going to drink yourself into depression or whatever mm-hmm. because you're unemployed and now you're just jacking off eating ice cream the whole time. Mm-hmm. Right. As we say,
3: I don't see
0: anything wrong with that, but <laughs> we're not trying problem. to shame anybody, you know, okay, maybe not you know. the <laughs> ice cream part as I'm trying to you know slim out a little bit. but uh, what is what is the
2: alternative? A society based around time energy would mean that we do our everything in our power to eliminate those kinds of jobs that uh, one cannot do in a dignified way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: um and if what what cannot be automated gets redistributed, and the kinds of bullshit jobs david graber talks about Elimin- but what do you eliminate okay, those too? so what do you think about the fact that
0: i'm sure you maybe this came up in one of your talks every part of our life is commodified now and things that we had as hobbies we have to we have to commodify those things etsy is kind of a great example how many people well maybe you guys are a little younger than me but how many people did you know that did silly, like made jewelry or little trinkets here and there. And it was just a thing they did. And now it's like this thing that I do, I have to have an Etsy store now. I have to commodify all my hobbies. Um, And I think that kind of goes into it, this whole grind set mindset. Um, What do you guys say to to that? Which I think a lot of people are in. Like so many people are kind of in this thing. Like I'm going to make it with, especially in Southern California where we are right now, where everybody's going to make it you know there's some dude my age that's still trying to get his band off the ground <laughs>
1: i happily go but i know i know
2: i know these two have a lot to say so um
3: but i think give that
1: give it to nance give me, give
3: me yeah i think uh <laughs> i mean i i write about that in in my piece in the book um but yeah that is the case that's the condition that that we're in you can't escape it like um <laughs> yeah we're like everything we do is productive like ev- like my smartwatch like i'm productive when i'm sleeping because mm-hmm. i'm generating heart heart rate data like everything is just this economic relationship um and there seems to be no way out and do you feel it's also been gamified like back to the whole like smartwatch
0: thing even if you're on some sort of app to learn a language
3: well,
0: yeah well, I've been doing Duolingo 100 days straight, and I still can't speak Spanish. Like, are we trying to learn? Are we trying to lose weight? Or are we trying to compete with with the thing?
1: I mean, I think it comes out of an economic necessity because everything's expensive. Like, we just—I were telling Jason we just paid $6.69 wah, for a gallon wah, wah, of gas per gallon of gas yeah. right outside of Las Vegas and so on the one hand it comes as like an economic precarity of i need to have multiple streams of income i need to have my side hustle because our jobs just aren't paying enough for us to have dignified lives and have nice houses that aren't the size of this room that we're in this was about the size of my $900 apartment <laughs> studio apartment in mm-hmm. Boise um, that Which I was is why in. Why
2: we also had to move to Mexico just to start Theory Underground. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, yeah, we're all in that. the same yeah, we're yeah. in the same Mexico boat. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um. So there's that necessity, and then there's also it's like the, the I gotta learn Duolingo and and be productive and have my watch track everything. Is like we're all missing that time and energy to that time energy to like have fulfilling lives, and so we try to use all these technologies and things I think that are offered to us to feel like we have some sort of good life that we feel like we have our shit together. I can't be
0: look, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and lie. (laughs) I decided six months or so ago. I was like, I just want to see if I could change my body through body weight exercises because I don't have a gym membership. There's no planet fitness, sadly in Rosarito, Mexico. (laughs) So I have an app and I get these alerts like, Hey, you've worked out five days in a row. And I'm like, you know, you, you're going to break a record. And, and, and I did like yoga just to get the other day. Ah. Right. And I find myself competing with this thing. And, and I think it does have a lot to do with the system in which we exist in that calls for a certain level of competition. What happens when this gamification of life that we are commodifying every aspect of it? Um, We talk about this on the show. Even things like peer-to-peer payments commodifies certain aspects of friendship. And we might go out later and like, hey, don't worry, I got this one. Now it's like, no, 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 before you can even say that, you know, I'm going to pay you with this. Yeah. I am am a worthy friend. I I paid my half. And, uh, like, how do you guys feel
1: about that i think dave has some thoughts on gamification because there are aspects of gamification even on the theory underground website like people earn badges for various achievements in in reading doing x amount of exegetical readings or you know this that and the other thing and so i'll just say like my brief my brief statement before dave can go into it is maybe there's something to reclaiming the gamification of the attention economy for productive means that actually are good for us as opposed to scrolling and gambling and all this like reading and I mean, exercising gam- and gambling, learning languages
0: like, like the gamification like you know when you think about gambling to your point you just brought up gambling i am a football fan um and i used to just watch games and i had friends that had juice on games when i, when I was in high school i had friends that had bookies but that was kind of an extreme thing with fantasy sports and gambling in every state, all with apps that do gambling. Uh, even sometimes when I'm driving up, most of the uh, uh, AM radio towers actually are in Rosarito for San Diego and SoCal stations. So I can hear American sports talk radio. And at night, it's just a series of commercials for gambling sites. Dra- yeah, stuff like that. So how can we reclaim anything when, when it's so dominant in the way that we see the world?
2: I talk a little bit about this in my afterward in the time energy book, which Nance reads aloud on his channel. He just uploaded that a few days ago. Um, so we'll share that in the comment section once this is over. But, um, Andre Gores was this post-Marxist kind of guy uh, who wrote a book in the 80s called Paths to Paradise. Mm-hmm. And he, he th- focused a lot on work and how uh, Marxists had often kind of fetishized uh, work, the worker and and labor itself. Workerism. And, workerism. Right. And uh, Nance did a talk, workerism is bullshit when we were in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we're those kind of workers who are like, we're not trying to do identity politics here. We want to abolish the category to the best of our ability. We want... That to not be your life. Mm-hmm. We want you to be able to have a life outside of work. Mm-hmm. And so Gore's talks about how you know if if you have a society that or like say your job frees up some time for you. Mm-hmm. You have a, he uses the example of a, a single mother, and uh, she she whatever the situation is, she doesn't have to work as much, but she's making the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Very rare, doesn't really happen, and if it happens, it doesn't last. But The problem is that gets eaten right back up by preoccupation with necessary labor that you already have to do in your life when you're outside of work, chores, child rearing, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to run errands. And so that's necessary labor that you're just not getting paid for. Right. Mm -hmm. And freedom is freedom from preoccupation with necessary labor, not, um, not just time off of work. Right. And so the, the the problem with uh this this gamification thing is like if we let's just say that you you free up a bunch of time in your week and uh, ostensibly energy but it just energy doesn't work that way it's Mm -hmm. not like we're batteries that are just charged up and then we just go through the week and slowly lose our energy and then on the weekend we regain it we also get energy from things from events from people from ideas all kinds of things can give us energy but also those exact same things can take away our energy and just crush our motivation. And this has a lot to do with uh, we've been thinking a lot about Todd McGowan's piece on, on freedom as limitation versus um, basically, he says that like the idea of unlimited options, that's not freedom. The freedom comes from being able to self limit, which is to say, choose things, commit to things. Um, And so if you just free up time, it's going to get filled with all this stuff you've got to do Mm -hmm. right and um because we are gamified right like we are drive in some ways like hooked on that um it's not like you 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 oh now that i've now that i have more time i just have you know, otium, like this aristocratic ideal of being able to sit there and leisurely peruse books. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Everyone discovered that in COVID, with COVID, you know, because everyone was like, Oh, I'm going to get so much stuff done. I'm going to read so many books. And then most people discovered, no, I lay in bed all day and just feel like I can't do anything. I don't know what's going on. And it's because we need, uh, we need forms of limitation. We need forms of accountability with other human beings. We need uh, access to potential recognition with other people. And so uh, I, For someone like Nietzsche, going Mm -hmm. back to Tut's book, which is an amazing book, um, he was a zealous defender of his OTM, his leisure time. Like he thought, crush those socialists, crush those anarchists, crush those levelers because they want to take away my leisure time and make us all workers basically. Mm -hmm. And in a sort of sense, I actually propose in my piece like, you know, he's not completely wrong. If, uh, if human emancipation doesn't actually bring leisure time for everybody, then it's not really emancipation, right? And so the, the, the problem we're in is that we don't just discover this leisure time that he had access to because he grew up in that sort of gentleman world, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, we're habituated to the grind set. Because of the schooling system, because of the, the kinds of hustles we get hooked into. And so that when we free up time, we're still kind of like that. We can't just snap out of it. And so there's this problem with like tendencies and dynamics within our current situation, the status quo. There are ones that we should probably counteract, negate, push against. And then there are ones that we should probably harness. And so what I currently do is I harness that. I gamify things for myself and I am doing a kind of grind set thing, even though I'm like the biggest critic of it mm-hmm. because I can't not do it. I just think we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be doing that to children and we shouldn't be like painting that as the future or like what the good life is. Cause that, that ain't, that ain't it. When it's you say to children, you
0: mean with the school system?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which the school system is basically teaching the grind set, right?
0: You guys go to public school.
2: I was homeschooled. I see what it did to my friends though. You know? Homeschooling. Mm. No. I- I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, your make-believe
0: was- friends that you went to homeschool
2: with? <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 had, I had one friend. No, but actually <laughs> – was, so- was it your mom? <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're already – though your mom
0: no, I Oh, Andy- not like – not your mom like
2: your mom? Like your mom. Yeah, I know. I know. Like Sandy. So I want <laughs> Anne to speak to the this, this schooling thing because – Her presentation in Kansas city was called the gifted and talented trap
1: Mm. instead of
2: track. So,
1: yeah. And this is kind of what I'll be talking about tomorrow as well. In the theme of like the PMC, my talk is called how the PMC ruined my life. It's hyperbolic. I don't actually mean it, but um, yeah, what I talked about in Kansas city is, so I um, was a gifted and talented student from like fourth grade. On. I was in a gifted and talented program in middle school. And then I went to an international baccalaureate uh, high school and was in that program. And that's not to like, oh, look at me, I'm so smart, but um it it really did like crush me in a way. And I just constantly felt this pressure to be the best. I was going to bed as a thirteen-year-old at like midnight, one a.m., two a.m., doing homework and perfecting everything and trying to get the best grades. Like when I got my first B, I cried was I this, thought, was this
0: self-inflicted because of the way you were brought up
3: in it, the school and system. The
1: thing is, it it wasn't my parents. Like I, I was the oldest child. I it was very much. Intrinsic, but at the same time, it was like a comp, it became a competition between the peers. It became this just idea that was presented by society and partly by like seeing my parents in, you know, professional managerial roles, bringing in relatively good money for us. Um, that it was just like, I have to succeed to get into the best college to have a good life. And so it just, yeah, became my life. School became my life. Achievement became my life. And I wasn't sleeping well. I would take naps on the floor in school because I was so tired because of how late I was staying up doing homework and like perfecting everything and mm. working probably way too hard on things that I could have done in 20 minutes. Um, and so, yeah, like that kind of firsthand ex- experience it of just it absolutely like taking over my life and my free time. And all my mental energy and all my self-worth was wrapped up in. I have to constantly be productive. And so today I'm still like battling and shaking off the effects of that and going, it is okay if I sleep in until 10 a.m. because I'm tired. And instead, we were just talking about this in the car. I wake up, I press the snooze button a bunch of times because I'm still tired and I still need it. And then I go, I'm a piece of shit. Like, I've wasted my Aww. whole – it, it's, it's gotten better. and But, it, yeah, it's just, like, I should constantly be doing things and ha- having this routine in my day and being the best version of myself every single day. And so I'm having to, like, unlearn that perfectionism and that constant working and, like, the competition between the peers that I, it wasn't, like – you know, it wasn't directly taught to us, but it was a hit like the hidden curriculum behind the schooling system was be a good worker, be an employee, always put all of your energy into these things for our institution is kind of what was going on. Do you on
0: think, think that your parents played into this being part of the PMC, as you said? Like naturally played into it? Because it's like we have to get you ready for this this real world. It's so competitive in this mm-hmm. real world.
1: Yeah. Like I like I said, I really didn't have any direct pressure from them but to this day i think they just have this expectation that i that we you know as a newly married couple need to be adults now get do the cookie cutter thing go start high paying careers like we both have college education i'm about to go get my master's degree hmm. um like i was on the phone with my mom just a couple of weeks ago out on this tour and she's like great that sounds fun so now that you're married i think it's time you go get a job basically is what she was saying and they're very supportive but i think yeah they just have this conception of how you're supposed to do it to live a good life and and i feel like the generation that like my parents dave's parents are are in they followed this like cookie cutter i just do this and then i do that and i do that because Well, at least they could afford a house and have some extra, you know, money and time and energy to do things that were fulfilling and travel. And now we're in this new, very precarious position where I don't think we might never own a house like the US. not in the U S w-
0: when you tell them that when you do the whole, like, Hey, when you bought a house in 1990, <laughs> the price was $25,000 to, to your income that you made. It wasn't that big of a difference. Yada, yada, yada. And they just look at you? go, That's nice. But you know, I try
1: to explain when you get
0: serious that, yeah. with your life. Yeah, that's that's yeah. cute. I, I, yeah. yeah mm-hmm.
1: It's just, yeah, it's, it's all love and support, but it's just, yeah, they don't understand like the, the time that we're living in the future that we have to face.
0: If you interviewed Michelle Obama, do you think your parents would think you were successful?
1: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> is that, that the interview? good reason to do it actually. Maybe we should actually
1: look into that. They go, they go. Who the hell is Slavoj? Yeah, they me? don't know. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Norman Finkelstein. Well, we don't care.
0: Is there is Nance? Is there anyone that if you interviewed someone in your family would be like, okay, my son, like they're going to the grocery they store go. and they're that like, I don't know, my son has a YouTube
3: channel, you know, <laughs> like Garth Brooks, probably. If you interview Garth Brooks, you got do Garth Brooks.
0: You just told the whole internet right now. <laughs> she
2: got a redneck ass family. <laughs> Actually, so now, now I have
3: to
2: ask. So, <laughs> you've been you've been interviewing some people. Yeah. Is there anybody you've interviewed that has won you that yes. kind of normie respect from yes. your
0: family? Oh God, yes. Who is it? My mom got very excited when she saw me. I didn't tell her that I was on Brianna uh, Joy Gray show.
2: For real? Oh, Your of still- all the
0: things that I've done in my life, of all the press I've gotten, she didn't give a damn.
3: <laughs>
0: she didn't give a damn. She was like, she sent me a message. She goes, I saw you on TV on Brianna Joy Gray Show.
3: Why did you tell me you was on Brianna Joy Gray Show?
0: I was like, it was like the third time I've been on there. <laughs> you know Brian Joy Gray? I mean, you didn't see me fucking with her on air? Like... I'm still the same shitty guy that you gave birth
2: to 46 years ago. So your mom's a lefty. Sure. That's cool.
0: She's done. She's a lot of things. Cool. As most moms are. <laughs> she's
2: not she's, just that. She's
0: worn many shoes, as Forrest Gump would say. Yeah. <laughs> she's going through her ADOS phase right now. Her what? That's it's a black thing you wouldn't understand.
2: Uh, ADOS? <laughs> hmm Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> I thought you'd said Adolf, and I was like, "She's an Adolf dude, yeah. like Hitler or no, Reed. Like the Reed." i was like, "She's going through a Reed phase." No, That's she's cool. definitely
0: yeah. not going through a Reed phase. She's definitely going through an Yvette Cardell phase. Okay. There's some other, there's some deep cut black shit for you right there. That's something to read on the long drive home. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> our homework.
2: <laughs> no, like, yo, just stack it up. Send it to me at the beginning of Black History Month. <laughs> and i promise to do the work
0: <laughs> you know the great ibrahim x Kendi would appreciate oh, that oh yeah he, he would appreciate you know that uh that you're trying to be an anti-racist
1: <laughs>
2: uh, you know what? he doesn't get any respect for me until he dialogues with norman finkelstein because that chapter on Kimberly x Kendi from <sighs> i'll burn that bridge when i get to it you know what's
0: funny? funny i would love to say that and we're done with the stream i'll tell you uh somebody else that dodged him Ooh. that I this dude's a clown to me and he's getting a lot of uh uh re- respect that I think is undeserving in certain circles but I I won't say his name in public but uh okay. it was it was I don't know if I should say, I'll say it off air because yeah. okay, there, there's okay. some there's a few things that was going on when he was doing that debate I was a little more a part of that thing than so just shut up about it
2: well let's let so on on the topic of our parents i just want to say we love them um and from from my standpoint um i grew up in a republican family but they're like the kind of republicans that say well we don't like republicans they're all rhinos because they're like these uber free market evangelical types and are you mormon them. no no just,
0: just regular like, christian
2: fundamentalist christian yeah i would how
0: fundamental is like jesus
2: campy like the documentary is it is it a documentary? Yeah. i think i not quite as uh like
0: if you like if you wore skinny jeans would they send you to those don't be gay camps
2: almost almost <laughs> i did wear skinny jeans and they were, and were like i,
0: like, I don't know about this one said, We gotta send them to a don't be gay camp
2: yeah i had the the whole the whole get up from hot topic you better bet <laughs> yeah, i bought my outfit you know and they were like i oh, don't like it and i was like well then it's working you know but, of course, I was like, this is not rebellion. I just like music. You know? But the you know her, her parents are Democrats. My parents are Republicans. My parents are into petty bourgeois rhetoric. Her parents are into this. There is a bit of that bootstraps mentality, but it's mostly like this. It is this more PMC thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's – it's we've been thinking a lot about this because people just go oh bourgeoisie pmc they kind of lump them up together mm-hmm. and if you read barbara aaron Rice essay yeah. on the topic then she makes it very clear these are not the same thing but they do make up the middle class these are two different elements of the middle class and obviously they overlap and, and, and a person can start their own business go to college become like a professional or a manager you know and I just, I felt like I should probably clarify a couple of things about that because we'll be talking about it tomorrow. But just, I know like there's a bunch of people probably like, it's not a class. <laughs> we don't like that. We don't like that term. Why are you using that term? People get upset about it. I like how Todd McGowan, when we were interviewing him, he's like, yeah, people really don't like that. I was What's with, that? I
0: was with Catherine That's today. We, she took me to lunch today and we were talking about the whole PMC thing and I'm pretty stoked for her to talk tomorrow. So, again, yes. again, if you guys are in the area, if you're in Southern California, tomorrow at 4.30, we're going to be here at Pomona College. We don't know what room. 5.30. 530. Okay, I lied. So we,
2: we'll be here at
0: 4.30. We'll be here up. at 4.30 setting up. So if you want to come early and hang out.
2: Pacific time, that's 8.30 if, Eastern time. So,
0: Are you streaming it?
2: Yeah. Oh, it's live stream. So we're. I think we're both, aren't we?
0: I, I actually am streaming. A, Pascal does his Mau Mau that same time. Okay, So So I can't, I can't, but you're going to be with us. I will be with you. All right. Well,
2: sorry, Pascal. (laughs) He knows
0: knows. he's on his own. He's on his own. It's his, it's his back. It's his back. But before we go, um, this was actually a fun talk. Um, If you guys haven't done it already, please sign up to their channel theory underground on YouTube. Definitely follow them on Twitter. You guys are on Instagram as well. Yes, and you do a lot of meme stuff. I do memes. Yeah. In, the Mark, in the in the Mike, and the in the Watson, in the Watson vein, Mike Watson.
2: I like Mike Watson, but what what do you mean it's in his vein?
0: I mean he's he makes all these memes that sometimes I don't understand because they're like next
2: level, so niche
1: and
0: shit. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But make... Mike is a homie. He's a homie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. a homie. He a
1: volume.
0: He is. A volume. I was actually that. I got stoked when I saw that because because Mike is a homie.
2: I have to say one thing is Mike Watson's one of the many sort of middle names on the front cover here who uh, submitted something. They had no idea that, that these bigger names were going to be involved. Mm-hmm. And so in a sort of sense, it's like, oh, he dodged that bullet. But also – because like, you know, yeah. there's always that guilt by association thing, and now he doesn't have to deal with it. But more importantly, I just want people to know that because this wasn't a clout game like – Outside of like, oh, we invited a couple bigger names, but we didn't tell anyone else that there were going to be bigger names. And so these people all just submitted to us because they believed in the the project. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but Mike Watson, I haven't really seen a lot of his memes, I guess, but uh, he wrote a really great piece about the London art scene and how people are trying to be radical and it fails. And it's really interesting. It's kind of from the first person perspective, but as far as my memes go, I try to make it so that even if you don't get the joke, the meme format is so good that you mm-hmm. still have a good time you know so i clip a lot from actual movies make a lot of- i'd
0: look dude mike and i talk about 80s metal shit
2: hey
0: really mike is a is a you know guitar player so I know. Yeah. yeah yeah there's a there's a there's a few of us that are that are metal dudes dude.
2: gotta start a band
1: a lot of like x-punk
0: there is hardcore
1: people in the theory scene as
0: i'm going to talk about tomorrow you know there's a lot of people that projected onto especially the hardcore punk genre that it was going to be this great big movement that they were a part of because i think they felt that the music really spoke to them and i think you can say the same thing about late 80s hip-hop and uh when you talk about late eighties hip hop, you'll get even the old rappers. They'll talk about there's this conspiracy theory to stop us from talking about um, you know the real deal stuff. And I was like, was it a conspiracy theory? Or did people just rather hear sex and violence? Everybody loves sex and violence. Yeah. You know, everybody loves The Godfather. Sex and violence is what sells, and then that's kind of what you know, all genres of music turn into. Capital
2: will favor what sells. They, capital
0: will favor what sells. Yeah. yeah. I'll show you a whole bunch of sex and violence. Everyone will go see sex and violence.
2: We should just do more of that. <laughs>
0: sex and violence. With your come on. Just that's
2: come out people, with a ball gag. That's, that's all
0: you people. need. Just like, you, just, you come out in a gimp costume, Nance brings you out, and then you're like, the
1: first thing's first about me, Yeah. Oh. HR, like,
2: yeah. yeah. When we make dick jokes or inappropriate jokes, Ann makes us put money in the dick jar. It so. was
1: funny three weeks ago. It's, it's not. It's, it's still funny. Dick jokes? Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know what's not funny? What? Rolled up window car farts.
2: <laughs> we haven't even been doing that to each other. Oh, yeah. We're all so considerate. really yeah. That's
0: what happens when you're mature. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful thing. Well, you you got to
2: think, of, like, usually tours a bunch of dudes on a tour. We've we got, we got a
0: lady.
1: I
2: toured with a woman for seven
3: years.
1: We've got... A little precious kitchen
0: in the car. There's a us. cat in the car. The oh my us. god! That is the most white people shit ever heard in my fucking life. Your car smells like cat piss.
1: No, oh, no, no. We do. We do a so really train. He's. We got. We got. He on tomorrow. command. <laughs> All right, I,
2: I, I have to Man hand the to Nance the has to car 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 tell car you he hates cat cats. Person.
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't fuck with cats. But Ryan Gosling, their cat.
2: That might be the most now. white <laughs> people <so> thing right <laughs> there.
3: Just when you thought.
0: They were like, hold my beer Is <laughs> 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 it hairless, dude? Fucking had to it.
3: And these motherfuckers got in the car with the windows up. It's <laughs> a tight little, uh, tight little orange house cat, and they got him as a little baby mm-hmm. kitten. Mm-hmm. And. He's just been habituated in being a cool cat. He's a road dog. He's he's tight. You took the cat on the tour. Yeah.
0: Cross-country, to cross-borders. Yeah. You took the cat to Canada? Yeah. Did they fuck with you about it?
1: No, you just have to prove they have rabies, rabies vaccine. And he does.
0: You told me you had a cat? I would have lied my yeah. ass off. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tell easy. him I have a cat?
2: We cat did not take yet. him over the border on our honeymoon, but we did for the tour because mm. he didn't have the vaccine yet. Oh, okay. Back on the honeymoon. So. Yeah.
0: That's funny that you guys brought a fucking cat on the road. Yeah. That's another mouth to feed.
2: Yeah, man. But you know what? I think here's the thing: capitalism, <laughs> capitalism, 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 capitalism does not like nurture. And I think you know the the human soul, as as Wendell Berry says, is divided within between not oppressor and oppressed. Oh what! Like, come on! Stop looking at, chat. Look at the chat. Fucking chat I over here. At the chat. Hold on. The it. human is split between exploitation and nurture. Yeah. And we have exploitative aspects to us, and we have nurturing aspects to us. And nothing about this system is cultivating those nurturing aspects in us. And so I think that there's been like this, this, this. There's nothing like having a, a little baby kitty just climb up on your lap. And snuggle into you for a few hours, and then go do it with one of your bandmates or one of your tour dogs or whatever mm-hmm. we are. I don't really know, but like mm-hmm. this cat has been just like making the making the rounds, snuggling up, being cute, fighting us. Oh Recently, we are chewed the fuck up, man. <laughs> and you brought this motherfucker on the road, which but he brings out I'm the saying. nurture in us. I think that okay. that actually been- builds camaraderie in a yeah. way that honestly, we we would all probably kill each other by now.
1: Yeah, it's. Been like so nice. We're stressed after a tour. There's angst, and it's like, oh, there's a little baby on us. Like you can't. Yeah. So I highly recommend touring with your pet. <laughs> it's great. That's how
0: I felt when I brought my daughter on tour. Well,
2: and before before we close out, I'm curious if anyone in the chat actually recognizes this shirt or knows what it means.
0: My heart says veto. My bills
2: say. My heart says VTO, but my bills say VET. Mm -mm. No. So speaking of gamification, I got this when I was working at Amazon last year. That's where I wrote. That's where I wrote the time energy book. I also wrote this book called work at Amazon that I'm not allowed to publish because of the non-disclosure agreement that I'd signed. Wow. But anyway, this shirt is the craziest like insult to our humanity, I think, that, th- that this is like in their swag store. So if, you, if you've been doing good as an employee, you get swag points or mm. if they feel bad because they fucked you over, they give you some swag points. I had some swag points. And so I went and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this shirt is real. So I just wanted you all to know that it's real. So v- VTO means voluntary time off. Voluntary. You get like 20 hours of voluntary time off, something like that. And after you've used it up, that means you can walk out when you want to. Like mm-hmm. you can say, Hey manager, I got to go. And they go, bye-bye. And then that just comes out of your VTO. But mm-hmm. after you're out of VTO, even if you're deathly ill, you're going to get fired. Right. And so you get a certain amount of VTO, but my bills say uh, voluntary extra time. And so it's just like, they made a joke out of that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that's not a-
1: because they're putting it on shirts
2: yeah that's not a non-disclosure <laughs> agreement thing i don't think yeah. yeah but everything in that place is super gamified and I, I i i am a sucker for a game and so i actually hurt my my elbow competing with the games because i'm
0: into it yeah
2: and i'm just a sucker i guess because there's a lot of other employees who just kind of like they're like i don't take these games seriously i'll just work a steady pace and uh they're the smart ones but here i was i fucked up my elbow probably for life it's like tennis elbow so it's like.
0: That's crazy. How long were you there for?
1: Six months. Six
0: months. Amazon and UPS are two jobs that, you know, a lot of people look at it. It's like almost like a uh, nom vets when they had that like dead stare. Like, <laughs> Worked a UPS man. It's a month and a half. And then woo, big box fell on me it's a box of weights. Like, yeah, yeah.
2: Like, no, it wasn't. It was kitty litter. Like, shut up. <laughs> I think the coolest thing about working at Amazon is that it is like mostly automated. And so you get to see a lot of robot work happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and I like automation, the idea of it, but the problem is, is that those wins, those gains with automation uh, are privatized, right? And so um, these are being sold as, or marketed as labor-saving devices. Like, oh, all commodities will be cheaper and we'll all have more time because so much automation is taking place. And obviously, what you find yourself doing is working twenty other people's jobs, but now you just kind of manage a bunch of robots, right? So, like the you know, like if you go through the the, the grocery checkout and then you got yeah. one person running six of those machines. Kinkos, when
3: we were printing printing flyers up oh, a wow. couple of weeks ago, yeah,
2: my god, that one person was doing the work of eight people. Because I, I remember yeah. Kinkos back in yeah. the day, there used to be a team of people back there, and this poor soul was just like. I'm sorry. I'll get you in a minute. Okay. I'm sorry. One minute. And then running around and we were like there for an hour just to get a few things printed because we were putting posters up for Mm -hmm. the Finkelstein event. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the tendency. And that's Mark saw it a long time ago. He was right about that. That one thing for sure he was correct on. And that that is the tendency of capital.
0: So before we go, we're we're over an hour now. Oh, Um, we got to go.
2: Come on. Cut this out.
0: (laughs) What? Where are you going to be tomorrow? We're going to be here at Pomona College at five thirty. Me, Catherine, Lou, and these chuckleheads. And then where are you going to be after that? Because you only have a few more tour stops before you go back home.
2: Yeah, so we're going to take a few days to go camping in the fucking jungle,
0: the jungle, the
3: the the jungles of Central California, the the Tillamook
0: fucking rainforest. That's a jungle. Oh, okay. Would you call it a jungle? Yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's
2: like a
0: jungle
1: he's from arizona
2: yeah he, he he it's really pretty there he, he gets freaked a good thing. he he wets himself when he sees like a, a like a lake he's like what, what what is that why is there so much water
3: driving up through sacramento yeah like fucking all the rivers and yeah. ponds and shit wait till you make that oregon drive have you ever, have you ever made it before uh yeah in ju- july
2: he was the photographer <laughs> for, our for our wedding, wedding. Yeah, it's a gorgeous drive. Yeah, beautiful.
3: I love it. I mean, the speed limit could go fuck itself. So it's bad. But
0: it's bad. they don't play the organ. The they Oregon do not. Though. 65, yeah. and your ass better not go 70.
2: Okay, i Let tell I... you
0: real quick. Uh, this is not California.
2: <laughs> All right, everybody. If you are in Reno, then on the 29th, we're going to be doing a double feature for the film club because Theory Underground has a film club. And we'll be watching a couple of John Waters movies. They're weird as hell. Pink mm-hmm. Flamingos and Female Trouble. Um, it kind of raises this question of like how much pushing the limits is actually radical. Like, is it really, is perver- is perversion really radical? Is it sometimes and other times? Not, we want that to be a question and a conversation. Um, and then in Portland on October 4th at 5 PM, we're going to be doing something on introduction to psychoanalysis, Lacanian psychoanalysis. So
0: you'll at least learn what Jouissance means. Is Doug Lane going to be there?
2: No, no.
0: Are you against Doug or?
2: No, okay. no. You guys that's don't, a... don't
0: fuck with Doug?
3: What? I mean, why I are you I asking this on, mean,
2: on
0: air? Me the
3: what do you What are you, you fucking here. think this is? <laughs> I talked
0: to, talk to Doug today. That's why I know it's fine. See, to
1: well, tell Doug to emails? talk yeah. to us. we just him. tried to get a hold of it. Dave has tried to get a hold of him, and it's been difficult. I'll send we a just, message when so right
2: we here. He's not good at emails, and everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. I'll reach out to him. I'll reach out
0: to him.
2: So yeah, there's the Portland side, um, and we're, this we're gonna be talking about hypostition, and I think we should let Nan say at least a quick word about that. But then Seattle on the fifth, and then Coeur d'Alene, Spokane on the sixth, and then Boise on the seventh. So, like boom, boom, boom. You're doing boom. Coeur
0: d'Alene.
1: Yeah. Boise on the seventh. Yeah. Oh,
2: interesting. Or ninth or something. Ninth. It's the ninth, right? What? We're giving ourselves a couple <laughs> of days in North Idaho. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. Thank God, because it is go go go. But okay, say say what the hypostition thing's basically about. You know. uh, so
3: hypostition, um, for most people on the internet, probably you guys are aware of who Nick Land is and his concept of hyperstition. Um, not
2: superstition. And,
3: yeah, I mean, if you don't know what it is, whatever. Um, hypostition is this concept. It's not a new concept, but it's a new word that we kind of came up with um, recently. And it it's really just like the opposite of hyperstition. It's a self defeating prophecy um where it enters a negative feedback loop so you you have this belief that you want to project out into the world and you believe in it so strongly that you shit your own bed Mm -hmm. um rather than where with hyperstition it's the opposite you you know your your belief in your positive feedback loop brings about the thing that you believed in so much so i'm excited to talk to talk about it it's like the secret yeah reverse secret yeah, it's, it's so. Can I
0: use this to meet Megan the Stallion? My my show producer Toussaint doesn't believe that if I met Megan the Stallion that she would go out with me. I
2: think she would. I <laughs> well, think she you. would. Thank you. But um, yeah. um, I uh, the the thing I want to say though is uh, you're you were an a teenage anarchist as your piece is about mm-hmm. in your book, and you know one of the things anarchists love to do is to prefigure the world they want to be in, right? Mm-hmm. But there's ways of prefiguration that undermine the actualization of that world that you want to obtain and if it if it makes your movement look stupid if it makes your ideas um send everyone off in the wrong direction right like then then it's blowing up the spot yeah exactly we'll be talking about that in oregon
0: well look you guys met him the guys from theory underground i'll be here with him tomorrow Professor Freelander just walked in. People were asking if you're related to the comic. Sadly, I'm not related to any famous people. Are you sure? We could just make it up.
1: Well, I have a Freelander poster because I like his photography. No, no kin? <laughs> no.
0: I don't know if you heard that. She said she is. That's his sister.
1: <laughs>
0: there you go. Famous people everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see you guys tomorrow. It's time for us to go. I'm excited about this. again where can they find you real quick
2: theory underground.com or on the Google play store or the Apple store, either one, we have an app now and it's clunky and it doesn't really work very well, but it, you know, we get an A for effort, I think. And so, uh, but the, there is a theory underground YouTube as well. I just like to put the app first. Cause that took a lot more work than the YouTube channel. I can imagine. I don't have the
0: patience. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. And we are out. <laughs>